Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to continue with the topics that we were touching on this morning on this morning's show. We did two hours, and we were talking about a lot of things that uh, seem to, to some people to be somewhat disconnected from the Bible. But actually, it uh, it all ties back, because the Bible is about life. It's about every aspect of life uh, you can probably imagine, and probably some you can't imagine, but maybe someday you will experience. But uh, that, that that's the amazing thing, that so many different things are in the Bible that have value to us, uh, that can uh, make a difference in our lives, make a difference in the societies in which we live. And uh, that's what the Bible was really all about, telling us about how to live our life in accordance with creation. Uh, the principles of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, and that's uh, the laws that he used to establish the kingdom of God, this this government of God on earth are incorporated into the very nature of things. And there's all kinds of things that go on in nature you don't see. I mean, there's people wondered where disease was coming from, and then they found out about microbes and bacteria, germs, etc. And uh, they started finding out more about the workings of the body, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, pancreas, uh, the immune system. But all these things were in operation before anybody knew about them, before anybody had names for all these things. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, everybody knew what a kidney was back in the days that they were writing the Bible. Except they had the same word for kidney was the same words for reins of control. And uh, the same words for honoring somebody was the same word for liver. And, of course, we have the same word for heart as uh, for compassion. You know, he has a guy, he's got a lot of heart. Well, they're not talking about Andre the Giant. They're talking about Mother Teresa. She's got a lot of heart. She cares about people. So, but we use the word heart as if it had something to do with the organ in your chest. But uh, the reality is it does. And yet the same word can mean two different things depending on how it's used in a sentence. So this is kind of the way it is with the Bible. The Bible is full of information that most people don't detect, you know, uh, like the one atheist says, a goat is a goat is a goat. And so he's talking about, you know, how you, you know, you have to kill this goat uh, or you have to uh, sacrifice your daughter or, or stone somebody to death. And he thinks, well, that's just barbaric. Well, he doesn't understand what they're saying. You know, I mean, he thinks that God wants you to pile up rocks and set sheep on fire. You know, slaughter them and, and put them on the fire and burn them up. And most Christians think that that's what he was telling them to do. And, of course, people at the time of Christ, thousands upon thousands of people at the time of Christ who were very devout and religious and believed many of the things that Christ believed, knew that that's never what he meant. And they never pretend, they were Jewish, they spoke Hebrew, they... uh they followed Moses and Abraham, but they did not pile up stones and set sheep on fire. Because they knew that's not what it was talking about. Pharisees didn't know that that was not what it was talking about. But they had all these rituals they followed. 
all these rules, you know, the 700 laws or 693 or whatever, you know, people have different counts on them, but all these statutes of Moses, and you got to keep all these statutes of Moses or you're in trouble. And they miss the weightier matters. Christ calls them out on this. You're missing the weightier matters. You do all this, you know, the... But you're missing the weightier matters. The the point. You're missing the whole spirit of what God is trying to tell you. And you're not bearing fruit because you're not doing it. Well, what were they doing? Well, they had gone from free offering, free will offerings, which you see all the time mentioned in the Old Testament, free will offerings. And they had uh, gone from that to something else. That is not free will offerings. Uh, it was forced offerings. And we talked about that this morning with the old thing on Iceland. And, uh, and you know, they play this in Iceland sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble because I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But uh, the old thing was their original legislature, parliament, whatever you want to call it. And they made laws. But nobody had to obey them. Because it wasn't that kind of legislature. <laughs> They were making statutes, you know, like, uh, okay, when you come on two boats coming down a narrow passageway, the one on the right will go to the right, and the one on the, you know, coming this other way will go to the right, and then they won't hit each other. And that's that's so they know what to expect and know what to do, and you know, uh, uh, so there's there's rules that people have. In society, so that everybody knows how to act and how, what, so that we don't bump into each other. You know, I mean, if, if people didn't know which side to go to on the river or when you came and you were on one of the Icelandic ponies and you were coming up on a narrow bridge and there was another Icelandic pony coming from the other way and you wasn't going to be room for both of you, what do you do? Well, the first one that gets there gets to go across and you're coming uphill, downhill on a narrow path. Who has to move over? Well, these are rules of, you can call them etiquette, but they're rules of life. And they're important because, you know, if there's an indecision, well, I thought you were going first. Well, I thought you were going first. Well, uh, somebody crams into each other or pushes somebody off a cliff accidentally because they didn't know what the other guy was doing. So they create these rules that we know what we were doing. And Moses did the same thing. He created lots of rules. Those six, seven hundred statutes of Moses. And why did he do that? Because he's explaining the simplicity of the Ten Commandments. Because people don't get it. Well, it says, thou shalt not kill. I didn't kill him. He just fell off my roof. Well, he leaned on the your, your railing on your balcony. And it just fell off. He says, yeah, I just kind of glued it in place. I didn't want to get nails or anything. It was because of money. And, so he thought it was stable. You were creating a hazard. Anybody, anybody push on that, they could fall off. Well, that's just too bad. He says, but you created a dangerous situation. Well, I didn't kill him. I'm not responsible. He just pushed on and he fell off. Well, no, that's criminal negligence. You created a hazard. You made him think that this was safe, and it wasn't safe. <laughs> it was actually dangerous. You know, and maybe he should have been more cautious, but you created a hack. You dug a pit right next to the trail that everybody goes on at night. And you didn't put anything around the pit. So anybody walking down the trail could easily fall into the pit. I didn't mean to kill him. Well, you created a hazard. 
You were irresponsible, so Moses is telling you. This creates a hazard. You eat pig meat. You're going to get parasites, because in those days, all the pigs were rampant with parasites. All kinds of parasites. And you were going to be, you were going to get those parasites. And so, you're not supposed to eat pigs. You're supposed to bury your latrine, you know, when you, you go to the bathroom, bury it so that other people don't walk in it. If you do walk in it, you gotta wash your hands and feet. You can't touch food until you, I mean, this is just basic stuff. Don't eat shellfish and crawfish cause, and all these uh, fishes that are bottom feeders because they're full of toxins and poisons and you'll get those toxins and poisons too. It doesn't have anything to do with, it's just simple common sense. It's kingdom sense. They're telling you what to do. But people make a religion out of it. You know, I, you know, I keep the Sabbath, but I'm in debt up to my ears and I borrow against the future of my children and I become merchandise because I depend upon governments that borrow and borrow and borrow to provide me with all kinds of benefits because I don't want to actually practice pure religion. You know, take care of the needy unspotted by the world. I want to use the benefits of the world to feed my children and feed my parents and take care of my parents. I don't want to have to do it. Well, that's exactly what everybody does. You see that they... But I'm saved because I keep the Sabbath. Nonsense. Nonsense. Not kingdom sense. There are... The rules are written down to help you understand the precept upon precept. They're not written down to put you into bondage again. That's why they talk about, you know, the the law was done away with. What law are they talking about? The, The laws of the Pharisees. The laws that King Herod had put into place. Because we have another king, Jesus. He's not putting those laws in the place. He's saying that if you love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, you will keep the law. Because all those statutes, they're meant to help you keep the law. Which is to love your neighbor. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We talked about this morning we went into, well, we read the whole thing, which was the uh, uh, statement of faith. I have a particular religious group. And I just picked this one because I happen to know these people and I stumbled across it this week. And I went down and there was all these things. We believe, we believe, we believe. None of it has anything to do with what you do. It just has to do with what you think. And of course, if you ask them what religion is, religion is what you think about God. Because that's the definition of religion today. But 200 years ago and 2,000 years ago, religion was what you did. It was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, what's your duty to God and your fellow man? Well, one is to take care of your parents. Honor thy father and the mother. That means to fatten, to, to take care of your mother and your father. You know, I mean, the same word for honor is the same word for liver. And the by that's where you, you know, that's where the fat comes in, is through the liver. And, uh, you know, you become healthy and if your liver is healthy. And if it's filled with parasites, you won't be healthy. There was a guy, I just saw the movie, was it Never Grow Old or something like that. It's uh, about World War One, And it's taken the old archive footage and it's 
cleaned it up and colorized it. Amazing job. I mean, you can see some of, they showed in the extras some of the footage that they had to work with. It was just drowned out by too much light or too dark that you couldn't even see what was going on. And of course they digitized everything and then they brought out, just like you do with single photographs, I've done that with single photographs, brought out the details and sharpened it up. It's amazing what the software could do and of course that's what they did. And they got amazingly colorful. It's wonderful that they saved those archived footage and they put it together. And then they actually had lots of recordings of people. And they put those recordings of those people to the voices and uh, put together this whole movie on World War One, which it was really not on all World War One. Is about the English involvement in World War One. A million. A million Englishmen or subjects of the British Empire died in World War One. A million. That's a lot of people to die. And you know, and one of the things about World War One is it really it did affect civilian populations, but very little. Only about three percent of the deaths were civilians during World War One. Although a lot of people died from the Spanish flu, which came out of World War One and uh and got a lot of people sick because of bad medical and hygiene practices and stuff like that, but eventually went away. And people got better and got an immunity to it. There was nothing particularly uh, aggressive about the Spanish flu. It was the conditions uh, that spread it and the conditions which made it worse for the individuals. And one of the ways they we talked about this before, one of the ways they tried to treat it was with aspirin. Because the patent on aspirin had just run out, and so anybody could make aspirin now. And everybody was making it, and everybody said, oh, just take aspirin, oh, just take aspirin. It got to be kind of a joke, you know. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Well, some, they were taking, what was it, 50 milligrams of aspirin. I mean, it's terrible. If that didn't kill you, the flu would, if, you know, the flu would, it was probably a minor problem compared to taking that much aspirin. But anyway... It killed lots and lots of people because it caused them to bleed in their lungs and they died of pneumonia because of the treatment by aspirin. So everybody thought Spanish flu was horrible. And it it was a, a, a bad flu, but it was all the things that we were doing to spread it, to not contain it, uh, to uh, not develop a proper immune system, improper diets, consuming the wrong kinds of foods when you got sick, and then doing things like taking aspirin and that's why it spread so badly. But uh, the reality is we got herd immunity to it because enough people were exposed and people started becoming immune to it and overcame it. And it was overcome. One of the things I was going to talk about in this morning's show, and I never did mention it, was that one of the reasons why a lot of people were moving to Iceland, and you just have to go listen to that show if you want to know why I brought up Iceland and... and uh, and their uh, old thing, which was their legislature, and and why I mentioned the fact that uh, enforcement of law was entirely a private affair. In other words, the statutes that they made didn't mean anything if the people didn't want to do it or didn't want to enforce it. And uh, what you know, like even killing—if you killed somebody—that was, wasn't an issue for the state. It was, it was a private, you would be sued by the surviving family members. Or you could even be sued by the community if the community considered that person an asset. And you caused his death. So, 
that's that's how they enforced the law against killing. It was, and of course, you are suing them, but everybody else says, "Yeah, we're going to help you do this because this guy is a murderer, and we like your brother too." And uh, uh, and so, but they had a method by which they would try somebody, and they had suggested punishments. And but if you if you caused the loss of property or the loss of a life. You owed that life back. You owed recompense to the people who lost that life that was removed from that family. You didn't owe the state. And I gave the example of, you know, you steal a thousand dollars and you get caught, you get tried, and now you get sent to jail for two years, which costs the taxpayers a hundred thousand dollars to send you to jail for two years. And then when you come out, they say you paid your debt to society. The guy you stole the thousand dollars from didn't get the thousand dollars back, <laughs> and uh, the taxpayer had to shell out a hundred thousand dollars to give you room and board for two years. So there's a problem with the prison system and our what we call our justice system. It doesn't make any sense. But we, when you try to talk to people about this, they can't imagine any other way to do things. Because if you say, well, we're going to change this, then you have to change that. And if you're going to change that, then it's going to have to change this. Because all this, what we now call society, and we think, oh, well, it's great because we have TVs and VCRs and cars and and air conditioning and all these things. And we have these things because, because of government? No, they're just innovations of individuals. It's not government. All those innovations could have taken place without government. It's like people said, well, if we didn't have public school, everybody would be stupid. Well, we didn't have public school before uh, 2000 or before, let's say, 1900, uh, the beginning of the 1900s, which is the 20th century. We didn't have public schools. I mean, most people were educated at home or in private schools. And yet we were the most educated nation in the world. How did we do that? I mean, they had more schools per capita over in places like Prussia than they had here at the beginning of the 1900s, yet we were better educated. They had some people that were well educated, but we had, but there were that many that were not. And they had public school. What they, what public school was not about, it wasn't necessary to educate the people. As a matter of fact, even in the all thing, they created this tithing, and I explained why the tithing, they had tithing before, but now they connected tithing to districts, to, uh, because of the fact that people started to look at this the fact that they were in a district, in a piece of ground, rather than with people, and so therefore your allegiance was to the ground, and this is the commonwealth kind of concept where all the land belongs to this district and you live in it and you have legal title to it. That was part of that strain from the formula of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you own the land. It can't be taxed. Your labor can't be taxed. But you still have to come together and make these free will offerings. And they called them tithings because ten families got together and what each family contributed was their tithing that that tenth share of this congregation and it was given to the man they thought was the wisest most charitable individual in the community and he could use it for the good of the community for individuals for civic projects 
That was one of the big riots at the time of Jesus Christ uh, under Pontius Pilate, where the people were rioting because they were accusing Pontius Pilate of robbing their social security fund. They had a treasury that had Corbin in it, and that Corbin was their social security money. This You paid into that, and then they took care of you in your old age. And... Uh, and your your kids didn't have to do it anymore because you would get this stipends from the treasury, but everybody had to pay into the treasury. And Pontius Pilate approved money to be taken out of that treasury, the Corbin, and be used to bring fresh water into the city through an aqueduct. And they said, you're robbing our Social Security, and that's what you hear all the day, everybody saying they're robbing the Social Security and they're taking from our Social Security and all this stuff. There is no Social Security. There is no Social Security trust fund. There is no separate fund for Social Security. I mean, they have something in the books where they say this much is taken in and this much goes out. But the reality, there is no division of funds. And I we show in our article that that's the case. And so... Yeah, the, as long as the government's operating in the red, Social Security is unfunded. Uh, th- there is no separate trust fund. The money you pay in is paid in because you're a surety for debt. And that's the debt of the United States. And there is, if just because you think something so, don't make it so. Just because you want to think that that money's in there on deposit for you, <laughs> that isn't necessarily the way it works. It works the way the rules say, which we go back to this, uh, uh, you know, the guys who were talking about this faith, uh, statement of faith. And in that statement of faith, they say, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then they finally get down here to, we believe that Christ commanded that the church to make disciples, that's students of all peoples. By going into all the world. And that world is constitutional order and system of government. So you go into all the world. I, I believe that's, um, you know, if, I, if I'm remembering, right? I'm reading off of their, because I just copied their uh, statement of faith and put it in there. But now I want to go and double check so that I don't mislead you. I wouldn't want to say something that isn't entirely true. That wouldn't be right. Uh, so... Preach to all the world, pour a witness, go ye into all the world, Mark sixteen, fifteen. Well, what exactly word is that? Okay, in Mark sixteen fifteen, the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. So that's go ye into all the world. So that is correct. And the other place, which was Matthew twenty four fourteen, the word world there is okomene, which means the inhabited earth. So you didn't have to necessarily go to governmental systems. Of course, that's saying preach in all the world for a witness, so that, and to all nations. See, a, a nation that has a government, that would be a world, uh, in the sense of constitutional order or system of government. And that's the word cosmos. Uh, and when I'm saying those phrases, I'm reading right out of the concordance. But this is why I couldn't remember, because in Matthew twenty four fourteen they say something very similar, but they use a different word. They use echomene. In Luke, we also see uh, that all the world should be taxed. That was Caesar was going to 
all the world shall be taxed. He actually uses the word okaimene, uh, which, like I said, okaimene means kind of inhabited places. That's that's the common definition of okaimene, but it's actually a Greek word that is compiled of several words or two different words, and uh, oike and mene, and so. That's, uh, oike has to do with places where you dwell, your house. Uh, and then, uh, mene is, you know, the implication is, is that we're talking about, uh, the earth. So it's all the houses of the world. Well, of course, Caesar couldn't tax everybody on the planet. <laughs> but they, the, you know, that's a Greek word. And, of course, Caesar wasn't normally speaking Greek. He was speaking Latin or some form of Latin. But, uh, anyway, the okaimene in the, when the Greek, when the Latins used the word, it often referred to the Roman Empire. Because Rome itself was a cosmos. It was an organization, a constitutional order and system of government. But the people that were in the empire was... A lot more people, because some of the people that were in the empire, they had, those different states had different statuses. So, the, okay, man, they could mean specifically all the lands that he could tax. So that's why he was saying that. So anyway, we cleared up that maybe a little bit. Uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen, it's saying okay, man, but in Mark sixteen fifteen, it's say go ye into all the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government, and preach the gospel, which is the good news, to every creature. And that word creature there, which I happen to know from memory, but that uh, is the word kittis. And that word kittis is actually also translated ordinance. And it means actually the act of founding or establishing or building. So it's not necessarily talking to, you know, like sheep and dogs and what have you, but it's something that is created. And, of course, that constitutional order and system of government is created. And it, it's saying to take this spirit of the kingdom of God and apply it in in all the world in their ordinances and in the way they do things. And, of course, we see Paul talking to the head treasurer of Corinth saying, you guys should do you know, run your government like we do through free will offerings. So now what would that sound like if I went to the government today and I was going to talk to them and say, I'm going to preach the kingdom to the governments of the day. I would say, you know, no, you do not want to tax people to take care of the poor. No, that is not, that will create enmity between the people who have and the people who don't have. Because you force them to help the people who don't have. What you have to do is make it popular to help the poor. And then you have to help the people organize so that they help the poor. But the people have to do it through free will offerings, through food kitchens, through donations. and You know, the government could say, you know, you have a tax exemption when you do these things because you're, you're helping the poor. But the idea of taxing the people... Taking money from them so that you can help the poor, that's bad. That's going to change things. Uh, you should not be doing that. So I, in order to preach the kingdom, I have to be telling people. I heard somebody talking today, the lady from uh, Nicaragua. 
I can't remember what her name is. Uh, she's a charming, outspoken woman against socialism. You see her on PragerU and other places. But uh, she was talking uh, about, uh, in Venezuela, how they decided to go socialist and they shouldn't do this. And so she's talking to people from Cuba and people from other parts of South America who know that that's a bad idea, explaining that, no, you don't want to go that way. Well, in, a, in her own way, she's preaching the kingdom. Because she's saying, no, you do not want to take care of the poor through forced contributions. Now, the poor are happy to do that. I mean, some poor, not all poor would do that. But many of the poor are happy to take from the, the people who have more than them because they're jealous and envious. And that's what you're feeding when you do that. You're feeding that. And... What I was going to talk about this afternoon was portals. And we got 90 minutes in the whole show today. But portals. And this is what I was getting to in the last part of this morning's show. Is that, so there, there's, there's method in my ramblings. That you can preach the kingdom and people won't get it. You can explain it out in logical terms and right reason. Because the kingdom of God is a reasonable way to go. People say, oh, well, nobody will do that. Well, maybe they won't. But if you do it another way, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> so you don't want to do it the wrong way. You want to do it the right way. And you want to do it diligently the right way, which is why Christ used words like diligent and, and seek and persevere and strive. Because you have to be diligent. Uh, you know, when it says study to show thyself approved, the word there that they translate study is not translated study anywhere else. That word means be diligent to show thyself approved. You have to work at it. I mean, if you're going to tithe, tithe with gusto. Tithe wisely. Don't just hand $20 bills out the window to a guy on the side of the road with a sign. That's not wisdom. <laughs> That's stupid. That's foolish. Now, you, maybe the Holy Spirit leads you to do it, but I'm questioning whether that was the Holy Spirit or just your own guilty conscience. No, you should be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and giving with people that you know and learn to trust because you watch what, how they use what you give. It's very important. I mean, we we don't get a lot of donations here. You know, uh, I tell people, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and give to your local congregations. And those ministers that, you know, I serve should give to me uh, as they see fit. If they don't want to see fit to give me, okay, fine. I don't depend on all these donations I'm not getting to survive. I survive by the grace of God and through hard labor. Uh, but the it's important that you give because that's in the nature of God. God gave life, gave us this planet, gave us oxygen to breathe, gave us time to do things. Uh, he gave us life itself and gave us man and woman in the relationship where we can produce offspring and reproduce generations. All these things are gifts of creation. And it's also a gift of the will of God. What is the will of God? Right reason. And it is in the nature of God to give. So it's in the nature of man if he wants to have the mind of God, the mind of Christ, this Holy Spirit dwelling in him. He has to give. If he is selfish, 
he closes the door to the kingdom of God. You know, if you're going to have life more abundant because you lay down your life for his sake, in other words, you give for his sake and for his righteousness, then you can pick up your life more abundant. If you refuse to lay down your life, if you refuse to tithe and give regularly, then guess what? You will have life decreasing. Now, I'm not I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you give to me, then God will bless you. I'm saying if you don't give, in a, if you don't have a giving heart in a righteous way that strengthens the poor, these are the requirements going through the Bible, that strengthens the poor and blesses the the poor and tends to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and faith, mercy and faith. If you don't do that, your mind will be closed to receiving the Holy Spirit. There will be no place in you for the Holy Spirit. Because you're thinking contrary to Christ. You're thinking selfishness. You're thinking self-servingness. Then this is one of the problems with taking on these doctrines that make you feel right. We keep the Sabbath. You don't keep the Sabbath. We have a prayer shawl. You don't have a prayer shawl. We gather in this beautiful church with all these ornate to the glory of God. You don't have that. We have this wonderful choir that makes beautiful music. You don't have that. It's all vanity. Do you, you know, are you taking care of the widows and orphans through faith, hope, and charity? Or do you leave that for the government to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society? It is the government who exercises authority one over the other. Christ said it wasn't to be that way with you. Since it is that way with you, I pretty much figure you're not listening to Christ. You're not doing what he said. You're not keeping his commandments. You don't really believe in him because he, you know, they, they say in their little, uh, uh, we believe, we believe that Christ commanded the church to make disciples of all peoples. Well, students of all peoples. So, okay, what are you teaching them? Are you teaching them that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government? Are you teaching them it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor as long as you take a bite out of their neighbor with the teeth of government? It's okay to get benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other even though you know they took away from your neighbor to provide you with that benefit. And if there are government that borrows, which is just about every government there is, then you are actually cursing your children and your neighbor's children. Because you're using benefits that are not yet provided for, that you have not yet earned. And so therefore, you are not a Sabbath keeper. Because you're taking your rest now and you haven't earned it yet. You know, you're borrowing against the future. That's not keeping the Sabbath. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing with water is only baptizing with water. Submersing them in the way of Christ. The way of the Father. The way of the Holy Spirit. That's something else. So if you're telling your Father to go to the government, and get your social security because I don't want to take care of you, then then you're not a good son and you're not a Christian. 
and you're not honoring your father and your mother, what did he say about keeping the commandments? You know, I mean, it's very clear, very clear that you have to keep the commandments. You don't earn salvation by keeping the commandments, but if you're not keeping the commandments, then you're probably not saved. Because if you loved him, I mean, really loved him, and not just the idea of loving him, but really loved him, you would keep the commandments. That's that's what you would do. That's what he says. If you love me, you'll keep the commandments. That's in John. So, if you're not keeping the commandments, then basically, you know, it doesn't fit. <laughs> Your theory about being a believer does not fit. It's not. It's not true. So, you know, uh, let's see what was some of the things that he said. Uh, you know, uh, I was going to, well, actually, we have a whole section at Preparing You that talks about the word commanded. So you can look up the word commanded and um, and some of the other words that would uh, also uh, express some of these ideas, what Jesus was warned uh, us about. But basically... Uh, uh, he told us to love one another and uh, loving the benefits. You know, the benefits that come from men who exercise authority is what they call the wages of unrighteousness. Because you're forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That is the wages of unrighteousness. The lovers of rewards of unrighteousness. That's another word that they, um, you know, that, that they talk about the that you don't want that. That's not Christian. You, you're not a Christian if you do that. Now see, I was listening this morning, just briefly, I mentioned this to somebody who was talking about how we don't have any agenda. We just want to talk about how much Christ loves you. And I'll say, he does. That's why he sent me to smack you upside the head and say, hey, pay attention <laughs> to what Christ actually said. And let's do that for a change. Because you're not doing it now. So, you know, I mean, people aren't going to want to listen to this, but uh, it is, it's the truth. And this is what Christ was saying. Uh, I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's, that's what he was saying. Uh, so why aren't you wanting to do it? Why aren't you wanting to go the way of Christ? And, and doing these, uh, very simple things of taking care of one another, of loving one another, of providing for one another, of doing what he actually commanded you to do. See, in, uh, 2 Peter 2.15, he says, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So, I mean, like, wages of unrighteousness. You know, that's, uh, woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chamber by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. I mean, if you're in a system that has income tax, which is every system in the world, 
you know, you, you say you pay 20% income tax. And, I mean, you pay, it, literally, in the United States, at least 14% for Social Security. Some of it comes out of your wages. Some of it comes out of what your employer could have paid you, but he's not paying you. But he's got to take it out of what you earn. And so you don't get it. So right there, 14% you're not getting. If there are any taxes on top of that, in so 20% of the day, you know, if you work a 10-hour day, the first two hours, you're working without wages. You're not going to get them. They're going to somebody else. And so, you know, I was reading Jeremiah 22, 13, but that's the whole bondage of Egypt right there in a nutshell. And you're back in that bondage of Egypt. Now, so people think, I I give them such bad news. (laughs) It's not that bad of news. It's good news. Because now you can do something about it because you know that you have done that. And see, you know, this whole Arabalum is tied to the era of the Nicolaitan. You should go read our article on Nicolaitan. Who are the Nicolaitans? They are the conquered people. They are the people who are made merchandise. And they're made merchandise because of their covetous practices. What are the covetous practices? They have desired benefits at the expense of their neighbor. You know, whether the government's going to borrow the money or just extract it by taxation, it's still at the expense of the neighbor. Polybius knew that changed you. Uh, Plutarch knew that it destroyed liberty. John the Baptist said, "This is don't do it by force. Everybody else was doing it by forced offerings. You're supposed to be doing it by free will offerings. How can you do that efficiently if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? Even Jude one eleven it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. What reward? The wages of unrighteousness. And perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And that, if you go back and understand all those things, you begin to, you know, put it together. I mean, even in Acts one eighteen, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Anyway, what what's the reward of iniquity? It's these four sacrifices. You know, I mean, Revelations 2.14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Things sacrificed to idols. That's, that's your payment into Social Security. That, that's what that is. That's, that's your sacrifice. And it goes to the government. The government gets to use it any way they want, and they do. Because there is no division of funds ruled by the Supreme Court over and over again from the beginning. And you have a relationship of obedience now. With the system, because now you've waived the right to a portion of your labor in order to get those benefits and those, in order to be entitled to those benefits, you are compelled to sacrifice 
to that organization, which is a creation of man, created by the hand of man. It's You're no longer operating by faith, hope, and charity. You're, you're certainly not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, loving your neighbor as yourself. You're certainly not casting your bread upon the waters. You're, you're not doing that. So something else is going to take place, and that's why I talked about the all thing this morning, and how they changed some of the parameters. They moved the tithing to a personal contribution to men you trust. Look out amongst yourselves, find men you trust, and we'll put them over this business. And basically, actually, that was same principle, but in another situation. But the altars of stone were a gathering of friends. And you sacrificed a portion of everything you earned to them, and they took those funds and went out and did wonderful things with them, which might include an aqueduct to bring water where it was needed. It might include all kinds of things that would come to the blessings of the people. And the people would know, hey, he did a good job. He he put a well here. He he Whatever it was. You know, he figured out a new way to plant this plant. He found new plants over in another area. You know, that's what the Israelites were traveling all over. And they'd find plants and they'd bring them back. And then they that's how they got better and better grapes. That's, that's what, uh, you know, people like uh, Luther Burbank was doing. Before him, there were all kinds of fruits that were growing, but they weren't producing nearly what some of the things that he produced. Amazing man. Amazing man. Blessed thousands. Millions of people have been blessed by... I have a Luther Burbank uh, plum tree right outside the front door here. Grows the biggest plums. Beautiful plums. If the coons don't get into them. Coons get into them. They they climb up in the tree and they take one bite and throw it down. <laughs> a bunch of socialists. You know, they didn't earn it, so they don't care. <laughs> but, I mean, they come with a mask. You should guess what they're up to. But anyway, so one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is that we have a burning bush festival coming up. And I promised that I would uh, mention this. We didn't take a break at the half hour. But uh, the show's now 90 minutes. So I'll take a break in a minute. But... Uh, Burning Bush Festival is our equivalent to a fall festival. We have it a little bit earlier than what your Jewish calendar would probably designate. But we're also at 4,000 feet in summer like Oregon. We have people coming all the way from New York and Pennsylvania and maybe from other places as well. I don't know. There might be a group of people coming up from Texas. Who knows? But if you want to know, you have to go to preparingyou.com, join the network, which is just email group. You're pretty much anonymous on the email group. And it will be based on your geographical location and say, I want to ride to the Burning Bush Festival. Or I'm looking for a ride to the Burning Bush Festival. Or I'd like to carpool to the Burning Bush Festival. And you better do it now because the cars may be filling up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not in charge of that. If you join that network, hisholychurch.org, you can go to the network links, but eventually you'll end up at preparingyou.com and you'll join the email groups. You just sign up and uh, it's usually pretty easy and you sign up based on your geographical location by state, by country, whatever, and say, you know, and even if you don't, you won't be able to come to the Burning Bush Festival, which is August 31, September 2nd, of 2019 and we have a web page burning bush festival all one word dot org uh there's also the burning bush festival 
uh, you know, Facebook page. So you can get information there. We have some videos on that page and stuff like that and some pictures uh, of the area. And basically, you know, once the Burning Bush Festival, it's it's not a real big deal yet. We don't have thousands of people coming or anything. But we're getting to a place where we could have that, but we have to get more people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We got them sitting down in the tens. We may even have them sitting down in the hundreds. But we don't have them sitting down in the thousands yet. So, but what it is, is that we're actually talking about the kingdom of God, which is a network of people. People say, oh, there's networks not even mentioned in the Bible. Same people say that I tell them, I says, Jesus commanded that his ministers were to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Make them do that. Or they weren't going to get any loaves and fishes. They weren't going to rightly divide the bread from house to house. Because you weren't gathering together. Do not forsake the gathering together. Christ commanded that we do that. So all you guys who have a statement of faith, the inerrant word of God, uh, you know, the Bible, and you're not even doing it. You know, because your preachers aren't even telling you. Maybe it's because of ignorance, whatever. But we're telling you. We're showing you. Now you have to decide are you going to do it? And then you have to do it. Because it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. So that's critical. And whatever you think or, or, or imagine to be the case, you have to do what Christ said, or it don't count. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I was out irrigating just before I came in. And I came in and I had two minutes before I was to go on to the air. So now I have to figure out where is the right commercial break. <laughs> Eventually we release all these audios on the network so you'll get them there. If you're on the network, if you're not on the network, you're just going to miss out. Somebody was asking about the Mark of the Beast this week in, I think it's the California group. And uh, he thought we kind of left hanging because there was a bunch of questions there that we put after we explained what the Mark of the Beast is. And, uh, and it says, well, you left us hanging, you didn't answer these questions. Well, actually we have answered them in the recordings. And all you have to do is go re- listen to the recording. The problem is there's like 400 recordings now. <laughs> Goes back to 2010. So I don't know where the one is that we give the answer to those mysterious questions. But we gave them, we put them out there, now it's your job to seek and you find. But the important thing is that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because you want to learn what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You want to lay down your life for Christ and his sake, in his way, and then maybe you'll get to pick up your life more abundant. But anyway, here's the break, and we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back. So, don't forget the Burning Bush Festival. We hope to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. We've got some property now that we can do that with, but it takes a lot of work, and although we have a lot of people, we're spread out all over the country, and I'm not in every place, but uh, there are people working in a lot of these different places diligently, but if we were going to, we're looking for more doers, is what it amounts to, more people who want to put the actual hours in that will take, because, you know, I was talking this morning about the guys who discovered Iceland. And, of course, there were people already living in Iceland. Irish had discovered it way back, at least in 800. And, actually, they're now suspecting they're there. It's claimed back as 400. 
A.D. And uh, they had set up communities there, and but they weren't overpopulating the island. And then all of a sudden, these Scandinavians started coming. And, you know, I gave some of the reasons why Harold of Auger, the, the, the English were, and Irish were now protecting their shorelines more efficiently. And so there were more reasons to go and find them. Boats were maybe good enough or better. I mean, the guy who discovered it was looking for Farallines and, uh, they're not very big. I, I said this morning, I was thinking, Iceland, what is the population? It's about 300,000, 300,000 plus. But the Faroe Islands, I think they're about 50,000. So I think that's where I got the number. But so that's, that's not a lot of people. In the, but it's a whole country into itself. It's operated, isolated from a lot of other things. Oh, one of the other reasons why people were headed there was because of the plague. It was scaring a lot of people out of Europe. Uh, killed a lot of people in Europe. And actually there was a huge labor shortage after the plague. But of course, fortunately, the government produced a vaccine and cured everybody for the plague. Oh, wait, no, that wasn't it. The plague just disappeared. What happened? How did the plague go away? (laughs) Most people don't know the Black Death is like what we call tularemia today. It's similar. It's similar. Uh, Tularemia can be passed by fleas, uh, jackrabbits. We have it out here in this area. And I actually had a neighbor who got it once when he was a boy. He had a pet jackrabbit, baby jackrabbit, and he got bit by one of the fleas, and he got tularemia, and they thought he was going to die. But he got better, and now he's immune to tularemia. <laughs> he can't get it anymore. And that, of course, is what happened to the bubonic plague. It's, a lot of people died. A lot of people got immune. And then, of course, uh, they realized that people were getting it in the cities. They didn't know what was causing it, but it was fleas. They were causing it. And actually, I could tell you stories you wouldn't believe concerning that. But the reality is, is those kinds of things are going to happen. And if you're heavily dependent on vaccines to produce what is a semi-immunity, you can't produce herd immunity with a vaccine. It just, I mean, almost all vaccines require boosters. If your vaccine requires a booster, then you did not get lifetime immunity, which you get if you get immunity naturally. So, you're not going to get herd immunity with vaccines. I was going to play the vaccine commercial, but I didn't do it. But anyway, there's a lot, so much to learn. And, and people will say, well, you're an anti-vaxxer. I don't want anything to do with you. Well, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not saying anti-vax. <laughs> I'm saying understand the facts. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Find out what really works and what really doesn't work. And what are the drawbacks to this way? It's like, Am I anti-constitutionalist because I wrote an entire book, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, which explains why the Constitution is not a biblical document? Because there are five major things you're supposed to put in a Constitution and the Contracts, uh, and the Constitution of the United States only has one of them in the Constitution. Uh, several of the others were warned about by the anti-federalists who oppose the Constitution. And most of the people in America oppose the Constitution. They would have voted it down had it been put to we the people. And many of you who listened to this before, you're not hearing me say this for the first time, but there are principles in governments. Do not go by labels. Do not go by, oh, American, 
Oh, Constitution. Oh, it's good. No, there's good and bad and lots of things. And when you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we had some people that, oh, we don't want to sit with them because they're not perfect. You mean like you are? <laughs> You're not perfect either. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You gather, I mean, if you, if you have children and you only want to raise the perfect ones, guess what? You're not going to have any children. <laughs> That's just the way it is. People will say, oh, your kids, they're all so beautiful. Or well, now they say my grandkids are. And uh, I said, yeah, we don't keep the ugly ones. And But the reality is we have to keep the ugly ones. <laughs> we had to keep them too. Now, which ones are the ugly ones? I'm not saying. So anyway, I, I noticed one of the guys who's probably coming to the Burning Bush Festival. He was letting everybody ask one question. And his, his oldest daughter, and he said he would answer it no matter what it was. And his oldest daughter said, who's your favorite child? <laughs> and he, he was caught because you can't say who's your favorite child. You shouldn't even have one. I don't have a favorite child. Each one has their own qualities. But uh, he has 11. Uh, so he's outdone me. But uh, I got more grandkids and great-grandkids than he does. <laughs> but I'll give him more time. But he says, well, when it comes to hard questions, you are. <laughs> so that was his answer. But the reality is, is that we come through life and we produce life and then we pass. And that's the way it works. So either you're giving life the way God gave to you so that life more abundant on this planet or you're not. That doesn't mean you have to have offspring. But it means you have to be a giver of life to others. If you don't, you close your heart and your mind to those things that Christ says, all these things you shall do and greater things than these you shall also do. So people are saying, so why aren't you doing miracles, Brother Gregory? Well, maybe I am. (laughs) And you don't know about it. I mean, Christ's first miracles. What What did he do? He told them not to tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Well, eventually the cat got out of the bag. Why wouldn't he want him to tell anybody? Because he doesn't want you to believe by miracles. He wants you to believe because it's written in your heart and written in your mind. Not because, you know, I want to be a part of what he's doing because he's producing miracles. No, we we don't do it that way. We want you to make the choice in your heart because you see it's right. But so many people can't see that it's right. This is the right way to not covet your neighbor's goods, not force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to actually sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and provide for your neighbor, even though he's not perfect. People said, well, does he believe? That was one of the first questions Christ asked when a man asked him to save his son. He says, do you believe? What did the man say? Yes, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Well, you get to the point where you believe you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and then we'll help you with your unbelief. But if you won't even sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you won't even gather together, faithfully gather together, because you care about your neighbor, even though he's not perfect, even though he needs help with his unbelief. You know, this is what you have to do. And when you do, when you take that step, To start to do that, 
God will open a door of understanding. And you will see into another realm. Because all the realms of the universe are here right now. Heaven is here right now. Hell is here right now. If you pull back the veil, you'll see heaven and the, and those of heaven. And there's probably multiple veils and layers of, in these realms. And we've talked about that. You go look at the mysteries of the universe and we talk about that. We have audios. I had at least 10 audios up on mysteries. And I don't know if they're, yeah, they're on the, the mysteries of the universe page at preparingyou.com. And on the mysteries page where it talks about mysteries. Because Christ said, it is given unto you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but not given unto them. Who's them? The other people. Are those people good people? Yeah, they're good people. But he's not giving them all those mysteries. He was giving some of those mysteries to the apostles. But they still were not, they were still proud. They were still arrogant. And God had to say, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me. You can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. You don't have the character in yourself to be what you need to be. But the Holy Spirit will come to you when you become, what, humble. Well, Christ humbled them. Said, you're going to deny me. He said, no, I'll never do it. Yeah, you will. You'll do it before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. And sure enough, he did. And he was sorry. (laughs) He was broken. But out of that, he began, you know, he finally, uh, not only got over his uh, arrogance and his uh, fear and his prejudice and his chauvinism, but he became this outspoken person in the face of death. And he had the courage to do it. It It's not his courage. It was the courage provided him by the Holy Spirit. Because he was now tapped into another realm of righteousness. You see, when you go this way, you're cut off. I've seen where people start to see the truth and they backpedal. They say, oh yeah, but I don't want to do this. They lose what they saw. They can't even remember. It's like they get Alzheimer's. They can't remember it anymore. Okay, now, what state are you in? Can you remember the truth and the way uh, of the truth and how all this works? You know, I'm showing you that Christ said to do this, commanded that you do it. You tell me that you believe in the commands of Christ. You know, that's what the thing says. But you've actually gone farther and farther and farther and farther away from it and so many different levels that you cannot even see the kingdom anymore. And now I'm saying, turn around, think differently. But it's not enough to think differently. You have to act differently. And when you do these little things that shouldn't amount to much, God will give you big blessings. Maybe not a new car, a new house, and because I'm not talking prosperity. He will give you understanding. What did uh, Duvall said in a movie, I can't remember the name of the movie, He says, never use money to measure wealth. (laughs) Something to that effect. So, the treasure in the kingdom will be the, the righteous brotherhood that you create when you actually start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Does this mean that you just go, you get with ten people and you just help them, help them, help them so they become weak? No. You help them so they become stronger. I mean, your own kids, when you're raising your kids, you know, if you carry their books to school, <laughs> or let's put it, 
If you do their chores for them, they will not learn to do chores. There's always a big problem around here because, you know, with you have a lot of kids. It's sometimes easier just to do it yourself. No, I I know it's easier. We just got to say, no, you got to come over and do your chores. You got to come and do, no, I say come over because it's our grandkids who are doing the chores. Uh, but when they were kids, they just had to, you had to get them out and say, you know, you didn't do this. Did you feed the chickens? No, you have to go out in the dark and feed the chickens. You have to go out in the dark and do this because you didn't do it when it was light. You weren't responsible. I can tell you, they started making a memory because you held them to account. And they're all good workers today because they made a habit out of it. But seeking the kingdom has to be a habit too. It, you have to institute the systems of God. Now the system, you know, the, the institution of God, there was only one institution of God originally and that's the family. Man and woman come together no, that's the first corporation of God. A corporation is two or more people gathered together as if they were one person. Christ said it. No more twain. That's two people come together. No more twain. They're not two. They're one. They're a family. He's describing the first corporation as a family. All other corporations are just copying that model. And unfortunately, some of those corporations become golems. <laughs> or golems. Uh, which are corporations. Uh, you know, the clay monster. It is, it is a, it is a corporation. But the family was the first corporation, and that's the corporation of Christ. So how, and you don't want to infringe upon the family. So how do multiple families come together and form some sort of body or unit without compromising their right and liberty to choose? Because that's the key. See, in Iceland, when they, the old thing was trying to figure out, okay, well, well, we've got this parliament, but, uh, or this, uh, whatever you want to call it, this old thing, and they will make, uh, statutes, they will pass laws, but they don't enforce the laws. People have to enforce the laws, and they're responsible for that. And so, they weren't actually laws like we think of laws today. They did impose a tax that already existed, a tithe already existed, but now they said that it would be based on property, not upon personality. You need the right to choose who you will fund as a minister. And you, when you do that, you are as much a minister to him as he is to you. It's a mutual thing. You have to freely give to him, and then he must choose. You know, it's like you give. When I gave the first pocket knife to one of my sons, uh, and he was going on a trip with his mother, and I says, okay, here's a pocket knife. I never gave you a pocket knife. It's pretty sharp. It doesn't come with band-aids, I told him. <laughs> I said, you cut yourself, you're on your own. Well, sure enough, when he got to his uncle's place, he cut himself. <laughs> <laughs> and they had band-aids. But he, you have to let them make these choices. That's part of growing up. And it's the same way with you and the same way with your fellow man. If you're, if religion, and this is the definition, 200 years ago, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, you have to give your fellow man the right to choose how to do that. You can rebuke him. You can say, you know, I don't think you're doing it right. But you can't make him 
do it right. If he's injuring somebody else, you can make him stop. But you can't make him do the right thing. You know, uh, and, but that's, it, once you see, there's so many things I can't even talk to you about unless you already understand. I see there are different listeners listening in on the show. Uh, and of course there's some that will be listening just on uh, recordings. But the reality is this, uh, this idea of the kingdom. There's so many different levels to it. When you understand the altars are gathering your friends. What, so, Who's your stone? There's altars of clay. That's families gathering together. Ten families in what the Old Testament called a free assembly. They're, they're not hooked together in any corporate nature whatsoever. They're not, uh, unincorporated association. They're not a corporation. They're just free families. A free assembly. You have the right in the United States to freely assemble. So you have the right to do that. Now, you give them your sacrifice, something you produce. Somebody, some people, they want to, when we start these organizations, we do it with witnesses, establish everything with two or more witnesses. We have all kinds of audios that explain how to do that. You're supposed to give something to the minister. A gift. Some sort of gift. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, a pocket knife. Uh, you know, actually somebody gave an axe once. Somebody gave the shirt off his back. Somebody gave a coat. Somebody gave, uh, some other things that he was gonna need. But they give him things, not notes, not promises. They actually give him things that he can use. And he, and, and he doesn't own those things. Christ owns those things. Cause he's a bond servant of Christ, either ordained or commissioned or Licensed minister of Christ. And we explain all that. People hear the word license and they go all freaky out. No, no, it makes perfect sense. It's right reason. You just have to understand it. But you, what he's holding doesn't belong to him. It belongs to Christ. He has to use it for the purposes of Christ. That's his test. When he does that, it will open his consciousness to realms that he has not seen before. He will begin to see things that he did not see before. He will be able to do things that he could not do before. But he has to take those steps. He can't just be saying, Lord, Lord. He can't just say, I believe, I believe, I believe. He has to actually be a doer of the word. And the word then becomes alive in him and he begins to see things that he can do, that he should do, and then he has to act and do them. Sometimes he'll be wrong. He'll think, I should have done that, and then he'll realize, that was me. That was my vanity. It wasn't the Holy Spirit telling me to do that. And then he'll learn to tell the difference. Because I can tell you all kinds of people who think the Holy Spirit is guiding them, but what they're doing is contrary to what Christ... I mean, all the Pharisees thought that they were... You know, I I know Jewish Pharisees now. <laughs> Some of them aren't far from the kingdom. So just because I use that label of Pharisee, I'm not condemning anybody. But the Pharisees back then, because there were some Pharisees back then that Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. They were Pharisees. There were Roman centurions that he said was a man of great faith. So those labels don't put you in or out of the kingdom. What does? 
Are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, the kingdom of God is a government that operates entirely by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. It's where people sit down in a network of free assemblies, free assemblies, and give free will offerings to men they choose to trust with those offerings. And those men have the responsibility of doing what is right by God to set everybody else free. To take care of the needy of society so that nobody has to go and eat at the table that is a snare. Paul talked about, David talked about, the table that is a snare. What table is that? It's the table that serves wages of unrighteousness. The reward of unrighteousness. The benefits that come to you because men exercise authority one over the other. Benefits that come to you because men take a bite out of one another. You see, Christ, when he started explaining to people that not only you have to eat my flesh, drink my blood, you can't, you can't have it, but you can't be fornicating over here with these men who exercise authority one over the other. You can't be praying to them for benefits. You can't be having faith in their benefits and not sit down and provide benefits for one another. Now, I understand there's going to be a transition period. But either you're going one way or you're not. (laughs) If you're going the other way, looking more and more to the world, you will you will become perfect savages and you will become subjects to tyrants. You will go under tribute because the sloth... See, you don't even have to go to the men who exercise authority to get benefits. You just fail to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and love your neighbor in pure religion. You just fail to do that. You will be under tribute. That's what the Bible says. And, of course, that's what they said in the New Testament. You're going to be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Because you don't rightly speak of the ways of God. You've created an institution, a religion, a false religion that has got a lot of good points, but it doesn't put on the full armor of God. It says, oh yeah, well, we're not going to kill, we're not going to steal, we're not going to rob, we're not going to cheat, but we got to covet our neighbor's goods to the agency of government who exercise authority. We've got to put all our neighbor's children into debt because we have to borrow money against the future so I can have Social Security today. Yeah, I paid in, but I bet on the wrong horse and all the money is gone. So, I want the government to go out and borrow against the future so that I can have my Social Security check today. You know, and you say, well, I I can't survive without. Okay. I'm not saying you can't have it. You have to, you know, you have to admit it. That that's not the way to go. You have to turn around and go the other way. As best you can. You're not answerable to me. You're answerable to God. And God will see your heart. God will see your intent. God will see your steadfastness. And he will bless you accordingly. We all face death eventually. But are we all willing to go the way of righteousness? You know, because personally I don't think everybody's willing to go that way. 
I don't think everybody is is doing what is right and thinking about what is right and following the you know you know, like the the guy said is is you know this this inerrant way uh, of the Bible this inerrant book the divinely inspired yet it's telling you not to take a bite out of one another and yet you do it so anyway. We're going to take another little break. It's kind of off time, but I I owe him at least two breaks, so we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is this deal about portholes, and why am I trying to explain that, that your brain actually connects, your body actually connects to these other realms and will enlighten you if you tap into those realms, you cannot tap into those realms unless you make choices that take you back to making, you know, back to the tree of life, back to the Holy Spirit, back to the ways of your Father in heaven, the ways of the Creator. You have to go back to that. And so, how do you get back to that? Well, this is what Christ was saying, and He was saying it over and over again in this, this, uh, thing we call the gospel and i've just been showing you that the modern christian is not doing what christ said to do as a matter of fact he's doing what the pharisees were doing and he's doing many things that are contrary to what christ said to do what christ commanded them to do and he doesn't realize that he doesn't see it and so I can't make them see it. I can explain it, but I can't make them see it. And I would love to be answering their questions. I probably already have answered them somewhere on the net. Join the network and ask. And uh, and we'll show you. But you have to come as if you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the best way to do that is to come to the network and join a congregation, even if you have to meet by phone. Uh, you know, if you're in California, wherever, uh, they have a, they can have a phone conference and you can ask questions and maybe you'll get an answer right then. Maybe you'll get an answer next week. I can even come on to those calls and talk to you directly. But I get lots of calls here. But if you're not going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, I shouldn't be giving you any loaves and fishes. I shouldn't be giving, sharing you the answers that you want. We have a lot of them out there and you can go look for them. You can go listen. You can go read and all that. But if you want some personal attention, show me that you're willing to give some personal attention by sitting down in a congregation of 10. And then when you get 20 in the congregation, split it off and make two 10s until you've got 100. You know, 10 10 groups, 10 families and 10 groups of families. And then you got 100. Now you're on your way. And the more you do that, and the more you care, the more we can do for others. And the more people will come. And then the more people will can sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We have it all laid out so you can go and study it. But it's a process. You have to learn by doing. So the portal is the gate that takes you to another dimension. The ministers of the temple were called porters or gatekeepers. Jesus cast out the porters of the temple, because they had blocked the portal. They did not enter in themselves, but they also 
kept others from entering in because they had created a system of greed instead of a system of sacrifice and love, what we call charity. The same word translated charity is also translated love. Even the word grace is from the Greek word charis, which is where we get charity. When you give charity, you show grace to others. And that's if as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you want the grace of God, you must show grace to others. Isn't that the whole story of the the uh, steward who was forgiving debt for all these people? And he, this was the wise steward, but the unwise one was the one who didn't forgive debt. He didn't care about others. Well, that's what you have to do is you because you, that's what makes you a doer in, instead of a Hearer only. The, tem- the temple was never to be made of stone. The temple was to be made of humans, beings, living stone. And that, of course, is what we got. The word that we see in the uh, Hebrew, shower, uh, which is the word that uh, is gatekeeper or porter of the temple. And see, Christ could fire the porters of the temple because Christ was Christ. Because he was the anointed and messiah, messiah. That's the Hebrew word for anointed. Christ is the Greek word for anointed. Jesus, when they say Jesus Christ, they're saying Jesus the anointed. Why do they call him anointed? Because the king is anointed. And the king could fire the money changers. The high priest could fire the money changers too. But the high priest was John the Baptist and he'd already had his head cut off. So Jesus was both high priest and king. And he fired the money changers. He took the kingdom away from others and he appointed it to to a different group that was going to bear fruit. And that group was called the church. And uh, they were providing, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, providing clothing to the naked and providing. And they were doing it all through charity. Not through force, like most Christians do today which makes them not Christians, not followers of Christ. You got Bernie Sanders coming out here and going to pass his Bill of Rights that establishes once and for all that every American, regardless of his or her income or righteousness or good character, is entitled to the wages of unrighteousness. He says the the right to a decent job that pays a living wage, the right to... Uh, quality health care, the right to complete education, the right to affordable housing, the right to a clean environment, the right to secure retirement. What he's doing is bringing you back into bondage because you're already there. You either go that way or you go the other way. And I recommend that you go the way of Christ. Join us on the network and... Uh, Go to Preparing You. See you at the Burning Bush Festival. If you're coming, let us know, either through the network or through Facebook. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including 
services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.